Sales Tuners, Episode 53, Katie Early, Principal Sales Manager at HubSpot. Sometimes you need to get burned. You know, you need to spend a few hours with someone that totally changes their their tone at the end. And, you know, you thought they were great. You thought they were going to buy and they don't buy. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from St. Augustine, who said the world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page. Today on the show, I'm lucky to have Katie Early, Principal Sales Manager at HubSpot. Originally from upstate New York, Katie spent nine years in Boston before recently moving to Dublin, Ireland as part of the EMEA corporate sales team. Prior to getting into software, she worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and quickly topped out on her goals. Her international travel currently includes 25 countries and continues to grow. In fact, she recently started a travel blog called Early Arrivals to document her musings. On this inadvertent theme of travel, and as we kick off the second year of the podcast, I wanted to share an update with all of you. For the last 18 months, my wife and I have been planning a year-long sabbatical, and starting in July of next year, 2019, we will be spending a full month in 12 different countries. Part of starting this podcast was in an effort to open up doors to the business community around the world. So for those of you asking the question, yes, I will be continuing to bring you new episodes the entire time, but my goal is to interview the top four sales professional in each of those 12 countries. As of now, those countries include England, Russia, the Netherlands, Spain, Italy, Tanzania, the UAE, China, Japan, Thailand, New Zealand, and Chile. If you have people I should connect with in any of those places or just travel tips in general, I'd welcome the considerations. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 53. But now let's get to the conversation where Katie explains why Thailand is at the top of her country's visited list. I would say Thailand, probably. So my husband and I went two years ago on our honeymoon, and it was a perfect mix of like culture shock with relaxation on the beach, with history, with, you know, experiencing like wildlife in the jungle. We were there for two weeks, and we still talk about it. We've been a bunch of places since, but a lot of times it goes back to Thailand. It's, it's just an awesome place. That's fantastic. I have Chiang Mai on my list uh, when I do my world tour here in a year. So really looking forward to that and glad to hear that it was one of your favorites. Katie, in this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. Talk to me about your sales process today. What is HubSpot and why does a typical customer buy from you? HubSpot is an online marketing software and we recently just expanded into sales software. So really what we're selling is platform solution to help sales and marketing teams grow. And it's all driven by inbound marketing and using your website and your digital presence to 
find your audience or let them find you more like it and convert, you know, those strangers into leads and leads into customers. And that plays right into how someone decides to buy from us is we do inbound marketing ourselves. So we have a marketing team that spends a ton of time creating content and being helpful online. And we try to pull in people from where they might be searching or doing some online research into HubSpot, into our ecosystem where they can learn tips and tricks on how to get better. And then we pull them into our sales funnel if it seems like something like HubSpot might be able to help. So we sell inbound marketing, but we're also probably our best case study of how inbound marketing should work. Yeah, I I have to completely agree with that. I think I've downloaded more things from HubSpot than any other company combined. You guys are always churning out amazing content. I want to better understand how you even got into the world of sales. Take me way back. How How did you get in? I started working when I was 14, 15 years old and did various kind of customer service type jobs. I rented boats at a marina near my family Blake house. And then when I was in college, I was a waitress. And then after college, I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car where I did a mix of management training, but it also incorporated a bunch of sales and customer service. So I've always had like a mix of sales in the various roles. I mean, I guess it started when I was a waitress and I was trying to make as much money as possible with all the summer tourists in upstate New York. And I really just, you know, did my best to engage with my audience and get them to trust me. If they did, I could very well recommend something. And if I could make them happier or make them have a better experience, it was a win-win for both of us. So that's what kind of led me to really like like a sale and like that engagement with a customer. So that's where it all started. So you've moved on to software, the wonderful world of software, in my opinion. You've most recently moved to to Dublin, Ireland. You're in a brand new country and having to sell and open up a new market. How are you opening up new opportunities? I mean, as you said, HubSpot has a lot of inbound opportunities but in itself, but how are you personally opening up new opportunities there in, in Ireland? The difference with being here in Dublin and working with the EMEA sales teams is just it's still really new. We're definitely known in the market, but not like we are in Boston or in North America where we're headquartered. So we're doing a lot of helping. And I think the best way that we kind of break into to new opportunities and build new relationships is just being helpful. So it could be with an inbound lead that marketing generates for us, or it could be with us working with our referral networks or with us really just locating good fit businesses based on who we've worked with in the past. When we reach out to them or try to engage with them, it's, it's all starting with being helpful, giving them you know, access to free tools or giving recommendations on things that we think they might benefit from or opportunities where they can improve. It's really just trying to you know, build trust as much as possible. That's where the conversation starts. And then from there, we can really do a, a deeper assessment if there's interest. But it's, it's kind of back to basics a little bit. It's kind of what I did at HubSpot, you know, three, four years ago when we still weren't very well known in North America. Amia is maybe just a little bit behind because we're newer here. So I'm doing a lot of those same practices again. The cool thing is, is I've already done it once. So I can learn from some of those mistakes we made and also jump on the things that I know will work. So that's been cool. It's really interesting because you're you're right. I mean, in the United States now, if you're in marketing and you haven't at least heard of HubSpot, where have you been, right? You're you've got to be hiding under a rock. But in Ireland, it's it, as you said, it's brand new. So it's fascinating that you are having that perspective. So now that you do have that experience, have already opened up a market once. I'm sure that you're, or maybe you're able to do things a little bit more efficient, as you said, and learn from the mistakes you had. So what are some of those things that now you know I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that? What's some of those types of things? I mean, the things that I'm working on with my team a lot is really thinking more about the ROI and thinking more about the growth potential of that company. I think 
historically HubSpot has been kind of a visionary company and we're teaching about marketing and getting into the strategy help and, and kind of the big picture. And I think people get it, whether they've heard of HubSpot before or not, like we're kind of past that. Everyone understands how inbound marketing works and us focusing on so much of that in our sales conversations is sometimes detrimental because we end up just being teachers and not salespeople. And I learned that kind of the first go around. So now it's just more like, let's get really tactical. Let's really think about how does that company make money today? How are they currently acquiring new customers? And can HubSpot make that funnel more efficient? Can it make it more profitable and get to that right away? You know, they don't need to know everything about HubSpot in order to have that really tactical strategic conversation. And I think the quicker that we're able to get there with a prospect, the better off we are. So yeah, we still have to be visionaries and we still have to teach and and do all that kind of stuff around inbound. But at the end of the day, like, let's just solve these people's problems. Let's really talk about where they want to be versus where they are today. And like, paint a picture of how we can help them get there. It's a fit for a lot of companies, but it's not a fit for everyone. So like, let's be, you know, really transparent and honest about that um, and do it very early. I think a lot of reps going into an emerging market is like, oh, my brand's not behind me or, you know, they don't know who we are. And I do so much work at the beginning to win them over where, you know, if you're just helpful and you're just really talking about them most of the time, you, you don't really need to win them over. You just need to get them to trust you and then have a a very normal, casual conversation about what's top of mind and see where you can help. I want to hit on something you said. I've, I've highlighted in my on my notebook here. You said that being teachers instead of salespeople has often been detrimental to the sales process. I, I love that. I'm fascinated by it because I've seen way too many reps, to your point. They, they want to believe this evangelical sale. They have to go out there and just teach everybody about this grandiose world instead of actually solving the problem that they have. What's the advice that you have for people that are trying to figure out that balance? I mean, the balance is everything, right? Because you do want to be helpful and consultative and you do want to teach. And that is a super, super important part of a tech sale these days. I mean, it's it's all consultative. I think at the end of the day, just really having like the question in the back of your mind, are these folks going to spend X amount of money with me? Do they have a priority big enough or, or a goal big enough that would warrant that spend or warrant that time investment? And I think if there is, you know, teach all day, let's get them updated and and get them the knowledge that they need around how to evaluate and and how to work through that process. But if they're just, you know, kind of kicking tires, if they're not the type that's going to spend that amount of money, or they're not the type that has a big enough goal or challenge that they're trying to solve for, then they're probably there just for your free advice. And I see, like you said, I see a lot of reps that spend a lot of time with, with folks like that. We get it all the time at HubSpot because we, we create so much content. People you know, want to talk to us, which is awesome. But time management is everything as a salesperson. So you know, ask yourself the hard questions at the beginning. Really do your discovery well. And if you have kind of checked the box that they're worth it and worth your time, then go deep and and be that teacher, be that thought leader, help them with whatever help that they need. But don't be afraid to also tell someone that maybe they're not the best fit and maybe this other avenue is, is better for them. And they'll respect you for that. Katie, one of the things that you just said right there was that sometimes they might just be there for your free advice. And you talked about how to qualify through that, making sure that they have the money to spend on your product. How do you actually get past that? Because a lot of times when you get these inbound leads, as you said, you guys are producing a ton of content. You get these inbound leads. It's still hard to figure out which way they're going. They could look like the ideal prospect, but what they really want is just that free marketing consultant that HubSpot's essentially providing for them in the uh, skin of a salesperson. It takes practice for one. 
So for those early reps out there, I mean, if you're struggling with this, I think, you know, my advice would be is, is practice, 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 you know, the more opportunities that you have, and the more conversations you have, the more you learn, and you'll be able to pick out like, what are those red flags I should be aware of? Or what are the green lights that mean, you know, this is this could be a great opportunity, you know, ask others around you that have already been through it before. But you know, you just really need the practice to kind of hear it from your own ears. And you know, sometimes you need to get burned, you know, you need to spend a few hours with someone that, you know, totally changes their their tone at the end. And, you know, you thought they were great. You thought they were going to buy and they don't buy. You learn from those. And that's going to happen in any sales role. And there's there's only so much you can teach around that. But I would say, you know, being open-minded, being open to the practice, it's hard work. It might take a bunch of time at the beginning, but it will pay off in the end. But then, yeah, maybe have like a set quick list of, you know, these are red flags I should be aware of. Or if I hear something like this, this should be, you know, the next thing I dig into because, the last time it happened, maybe it didn't happen the way that you want. And experience sometimes is, is everything. If you don't have the experience, that's okay. But do your best to practice as much as possible. And if you can't, you know, ask those around you. I think everyone's been in that situation where they had happy years or they, they thought something was going to go one way and it didn't pan out. That's okay. That's life. As long as we're learning from it and not letting it repeat as much as it would have if, if we weren't reflecting on, on those losses. I like that idea of happy ears. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. I've not heard that phrase, but I totally get what you mean. Katie, as you've moved now to, to Dublin and, and like you said, started to open up this new market into EMEA, has there been anything, any differences that you really didn't anticipate? So I thought when I was making this move that I was going to have to kind of relearn a sales process. And I thought that HubSpot's had a had an office here for a few years. So we've been selling here for a while. And I thought that my colleagues probably had a different structure, a different process, a different way of selling, just given either the sophistication of our audience or given the different countries that we're selling into. I kind of thought there'd be a whole lot to learn there. What was surprising is there wasn't. They were following and are following a very similar sales playbook that we do in North America, which is great because it works and it wasn't something I had to kind of relearn or, or redevelop. The process is the same, but you really need to be thoughtful in the way that you engage with people, whether it's people that are on your team as a manager or people that you're selling to as a salesperson. I want to dive into that. The, the buying process you said might be a little bit different. So the sales playbook you have is the same. But the way people buy, talk to me more about that. What do you mean? The process and the steps are all very similar. And the reason that people buy HubSpot is very similar. So all of that is the same across the board. But in the way people buy things, what I mean by that is that people's perception when they first get into a sales conversation like that can be totally different based on where they're from or how they buy things. I think in general, and I'm totally making a general generality here, but I think in general, in North America, we are very positive. And when we hear of a great idea, we're excited about it. We want to hear all about it. And later in the sales process, you know, we might poke holes or we might say that this might not work for me or we might get combative or throw a lot of objections in. But we're very positive and we want things to work. So when we hear of these great ideas, we're excited about it. In EMEA, what I've seen is, you know, there's some countries and cultures that are similar to that, but there's also others that are the opposite. You know, they have a, their guard up really early. They throw out those objections really early because they don't believe in the big picture. And we kind of have to win them over and, you know, eventually get them to that, that stage of, of kind of turning the corner of them being open to the idea. So the process is still the same, but the way we treat like that individual 
is is much different. We have to maybe empathize at different points in the process, or we might have to give like a customer reference or a customer example earlier on. Whereas what I'm used to, that's something that we would do much later. And I think it's just really understanding like what their concerns are and why they have them. And sometimes it might just be their culture is to be skeptical which is okay. I appreciate that because I think it's very honest and you know you can get up, have a very tactical conversation very early and not get those happy years like we talked about before where if someone yeses you, you're just excited and you go through a process for them to, they may or may not buy at the end. I think I just didn't realize how many differences were there, um, it, but it's really cool to learn like, it brings me back to like my psychology days in college where, you know, you're thinking about how people think about things and why they make the decisions that they do. And, and it's really cool. Katie, you've always been somebody that's always thinking two to three steps ahead. I mean, it's that, that goal orientation that you have. And so I'm wondering, like, how do you break through with these guarded prospects? How do you actually get them to tell you some of the real problems and real challenges and real pains that they have? They don't just believe, as you said, like Americans do right out of the gate. So how do you get them unguarded? Yes, it's hard. <laughs> I think it all comes down to trust. If you want someone to become unguarded, they're going to have to trust you. And in order to gain their trust, being as helpful as possible or being as honest as possible, sometimes being really personal. I'm an open book. I would be with my colleagues, but I would also with my prospects. I think if you are super open and super transparent, I think if you can laugh at yourself or you can call yourself out on something, you know, people respect that. So you're going to have really guarded people and, you know, you want to get to that stage where you can offer them a tip or give them some free advice. And a lot of times that will kind of break the barrier down. But if that doesn't work, my backup plan is, is kind of just to, to be myself, be really personal, be open. If a day's not going that well, talk about it and be honest and be kind of raw. And I mean, at the end of the day, people are people. doesn't matter where you're from or what language you speak or if you're going to buy this product or not buy this product. Like you're a person, a human, and you have good days and bad days and your outlook is, is based on different factors. And if you give people the opportunity to really understand you, they'll give you the same. The theme that I'm really starting to take out of this is just literally be a human. I think that you know, as I work with sales reps all day, every day, it's the biggest thing that I say. I'm like, why would someone respond to this message? Like you've given them no value as a human being. Like, why would they do it? And I, and I think Katie, like when I, when I look at my experience in, in Europe, so when I sold for Oracle, I sold into France and I sold into England. And I, a lot of the things that you just said is, this is what I experienced. They wanted that personal relationship here in the States. We, we do have the big ideas. We do want to move really fast and get things done. Over there, they do just take things a little bit slower. They want to truly get to trust you. And I want to just get contracts signed. It's like, well, before we do that, let's go out to dinner. And I was like, go out to dinner? Like, I, I want to sell you this over the phone. Why would I go out to dinner with you? But I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's connecting with another human being at that personal level that uh, just really lets you open up those opportunities. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And like that face to face selling I've definitely experienced is much more valuable here than it was in the States. We're still an inside sales organization. But if we see an opportunity of visiting a client or just being more personal, even if we do, we've been experimenting with some like video messaging and that kind of stuff. It's been great because people can actually see your face. They can, again, see that you're a human and that you can laugh and you can 
make fun of yourself and you can just be normal. And it makes a, it makes a big difference where, as like you said, in North America, we're very fast paced, just get to the point. But I also think it's refreshing. I think, you know, in North America too, when you have one of those really great sales experiences, whether you're on the buying side or the selling side, and you really connect with someone, it is refreshing to say like, Hey, maybe we need to slow down a little bit. We're moving too fast. And these relationships are great. I think we're we're set up for a huge hit of the reset button soon on that end. All the automation, all the AI, all the tools, we're taking that human element out of things too much. And I think we're going to hit the reset button here in the United States pretty soon, but that's just me. Katie, you talked about there's good days and there's bad days, but how do you sustain your high growth and your high performance without getting burnt out? As we mentioned before, just being really goal oriented, I've always tried to think ahead as to you know where I want to be, and I, I don't necessarily mean what role do I want to have or like what's my next promotion, but I kind of think about what different skills can I develop internally, maybe what relationships could I foster? You know, maybe I admire someone and I I want to cultivate that relationship. And I think kind of having some of those longer term goals and have an outlook that's not just my day to day job is super important. I think in sales, like it's super repetitive. You have good days, you have bad days, you have a ton of conversations. Sometimes you feel like you're, you're hitting your head against the wall. I've been there. I see it every day. As you observe your team, Katie, what's been the biggest thing that just frustrates you? And what I mean by that is, again, it's in your observation of them that you wish they would just do this, or you wish that they just understood that. Has there been something that you just like, my goodness, I wish you could just get this and why don't you? Something that I notice a lot is in our sale, which can be anywhere from a few weeks to a few months, really managing just the sales process, the evaluation process of this client, like a huge part of the job. Whether you know we're great at discovery or great at showing value throughout the steps, like that's all well and good. But people that can kind of be a project manager and really manage all the steps involved and hold their prospects accountable to certain things within certain timelines, as well as them holding themselves and letting their prospect know what they're going to do in that same timeline is so crucial. We're selling to corporate companies where my team is right now. And it's even more important that we have kind of a joint plan with the prospect of you might want HubSpot, you're going to evaluate it. But if you want it, like, how do you actually get it? What are those internal processes? So, you know, I'm always kind of harping on setting expectations at the end of every call, setting that next step, having homework for each party to do. So when you come to that next meeting, it's not just a check-in, but it's something of real value. And I think sometimes, you know, reps are just kind of carried away in their conversation. They're running a demo, they're short on time. They forget that that last five, 10 minutes of the call is what's really most important. You know, I sometimes have the same conversation week after week after week after week. And sometimes it's, it's just hard for reps to keep up with. But it's one of those things that I, I've seen can make such a big difference in how your pipeline plays out and your control of your deals. So on the lines of, you know, goals, having those next steps, timelines, you talked to me about how early in your career you set out a really big goal. And then once you achieved it, it really wasn't what you expected. Can you tell me more about that? My first job out of college was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I did their management training program, which is, is a really great first job out of college. You experience a ton of different things from kind of every facet of how an organization works. I moved up really quickly within the organization. I became you know, a team lead and then an assistant manager. And my big goal was to become a branch manager, which basically means I would manage one enterprise location and I'd probably have five to six people under me. 
And my big goal was to get there before I was 24. So this is really early in my career, but I worked really hard. I worked really long hours. I knew that if I worked hard and performed well and made the right internal connections that I could get there. And I did. I finally got to that branch manager role. I was so excited. Like all my hard work had paid off. I finally was kind of the boss and I was in charge and I can make my own decisions and and run my branch however I'd I'd see fit. And that's, you know, what I had been driven for for 2 plus years. The problem was is once I got there, I didn't like the job at all. It was not what I thought it was going to be. It really wasn't as rewarding as I thought. I was motivated by all sorts of stuff in my previous, you know, role as I moved up. I was motivated for that promotion. I was motivated to move up and and to gain that leadership. And then once I kind of got it, my motivation went away. I, I didn't really know where I wanted to go next. I wasn't having those same customer interactions that I had before. I was just doing more managerial type stuff. I was managing timesheets and all that kind of stuff that you know I just re- didn't really like. So it was definitely a learning experience. I honestly was only in that role for a few months before I moved on. But I think what I took away from it is one, to kind of make sure you do your research before you kind of set these goals for yourself, know what you're getting yourself into, know why you're striving for these things. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's all that great. I think the other thing too is like moving up in a company isn't always the best move. When I took this position in EMEA, I was basically a lateral move, but it's been really exciting because it's a new market, it's a new team. It's new challenges. I'm not necessarily moving up, but I'm still moving myself forward. And I think a lot of us get kind of caught up in, I want that next job. I want to move up. I want to move up. And that kind of failure that I had early on in my career was a perfect example about how moving up isn't necessarily the best thing. It's not what you thought it was. And definitely, definitely learn from it. When I think about all the good SDRs that I work with today, it's amazing. They're, they're, they're brand new in their career and they're really good at what they do but they immediately think that they should be the VP of sales or, or even the, the CRO. And I'm just like, whoa, there's so much. So you talking about this idea of moving up may not always be the best thing. It's fascinating. As you were talking, this came to mind. Do you ever worry that what you experienced there of achieving this goal and not liking what was on the other side, do you ever worry that that could happen again? Yeah, absolutely. I think it happens all the time. Definitely not the only one that's had an experience like that. I think it probably could happen again. I think now I just try to be a little bit more diligent in really understanding what I'm getting myself into. You know, I didn't do a ton of research that first time around. I just kind of wanted the next thing. I saw other people were doing it, but I didn't actually sit down and have conversations and ask them what their day-to-day was like or or do some of that stuff that I should have. You know, I learned from it. I definitely would know how to approach a situation in the past, but yeah, I think there's always kind of that fear that, you know, what you're working towards isn't what, what you think it is or what it's cracked up to be. I really appreciate you sharing that. I, it was extremely helpful for me personally. So uh, thank you for that. Katie, I've got to take a quick break so we can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. back and it's time for the money round. Katie, are you ready for the money round? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's Here do we it. Here we go. 
What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Gaining perspective. I think that we get caught up in our day-to-day all the time, but I think what really has pushed me to get better every day is getting that perspective, you know, working with different teams, different companies, forcing myself into different environments. I think it has a big effect on how you can do your job. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would say networking internally is super important. I was always the type that just thought if I did my job and did it well, that things would happen. But a lot of times it is who you know, and it's the relationships that you have will really you know, help you later in life. So I would definitely tell my 22-year-old self to do that more and, and build and cultivate those relationships as early as possible. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I would definitely say I love to win. That's why we're in sales. To win or to see your team win is, is really what drives me. And there's nothing that could replace like that excitement of winning. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? It's called Love Warrior. It's by Glennon Doyle Melton. It's not a sales book, but it's a great book about overcoming hardship, on rejection, on self-discovery. I definitely recommend it to women, especially women in sales who are you know, faced with adversity a lot of the times. It's a, it's a really good motivational book that I'd, I'd always say. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Katie's suggestion of Love Warrior for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Katie, new question for you this week. What's the top thing at your bucket list? Yeah, that's a good one. I have a long bucket list, especially with my love for travel. Really want to get back to Asia. As I mentioned before, Thailand was like our favorite place ever. So next on our list is maybe either Vietnam, Cambodia, or Japan. Katie, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? I think at the end of the day, try to have fun. That's you know why you're in sales to begin with. And I know sometimes things are hard or they don't go your way. But if you can just find a way to have fun every single day and not take everything so seriously, I think it has a big impact on your life, but also your performance as well. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Best way is on LinkedIn. It's Katie Michaels early. Michaels is my maiden name. Find me there. would love to hear from you. Katie, this has been a great time. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was a blast. I loved the perspective of an American now selling into EMEA and how Katie shared both the differences and similarities of what she's seen. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, teaching can be detrimental. Spending too much time educating your prospect and not enough time selling opens you up to what I like to call the friend zone of sales. Sure, your prospect likes you, but that's because you're providing them with free consulting. You have to understand this balance and get comfortable setting the right expectations in the sales process. Number two, sometimes you need to get burned. Sales is a contact sport. All the training and coaching in the world can't prepare you for the first time you actually get hit. Spending time with a prospect, getting happy ears as Katie called it, only to have them go dark on you at the end is one of the biggest lessons you have to learn on your own. And number three, moving up isn't always the best. While I'm not yet an old man yelling, get off my lawn to every passerby, I am one to tell you that skipping rungs on the ladder of success is not always the right choice. I've seen way too many people think, if I can just become the VP of whatever, I'll fix all the problems and everything will be better. 
only to burn out before they get there or be completely miserable once they do make it. Enjoy the journey and put more stock in that than on the destination itself. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. Why do people pay to go up tall buildings and then put money in binoculars to look at things on the ground?